0: Hello,
1: I'm Jonathan Mast, and welcome to this edition of the Sedgwick Podcast. And today, we have a really interesting topic and two great subject matter experts from Sedgwick. Uh, We are talking about fine art losses uh, and what that means, and there's been a lot of recent news on this. And and my guests are Aliette Fenton-Sharp, Claims underwriting director, and Grace Best, Devereaux, Executive Adjuster, Fine Arts, and Jewelry, both of which sound really fascinating, and I'm sure for most of our listeners, uh, if they're like me, I don't know a whole lot about any of this. So before we get started in the really deep questions, how about if you both kick us off with a little background and how you got into this?
0: Perfect. Shall I begin, Grace? Yeah, sounds great. Fantastic. So hello, my name is Aliette. Sharp. Thank you, Jonathan, for the introduction. Um, I'm from Miami, but I've been in London for a little over 20 years. Um, I'm an art historian by study, actually, by degree, but I've been working in marine insurance um, since I moved to London, um, and I've specifically worked on marine cargo um, and fine art and species, um insurance. Um, I'm the director of claims underwriting uh, in the London office. Um, so I've been in Sedgwick uh, almost a year now, and my team uh, handle claims in, in in most areas of insurance. Um, and fine art is one of the ones where we have the most growth, and and we're targeting. So um, I'm really happy to be here and uh, to chat a little bit with you guys about a topic that I love and 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 that is is very interesting.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm Grace Bessevro, and I'm part of the kind of international um, major complex loss team. And Elliot uh, mentioned about, you know, doing something that she loves for work, and that's really at the core of what led me to being a loss adjuster. I actually started as a sculptor in college, um, and then I wanted to pursue a master's in art business and that's actually what brought me to London. Um so I I did that program and I learned a lot about kind of the financial elements of art. Um, and I worked at another loss adjuster in the insurance market and I joined Sedgwick in March And I'm just absolutely loving the role and getting to work with people like Elliott And it's just a phenomenal kind of company and place to be working in this very exciting line of business that I do also love.
1: Well, I think first thing we can say is, so see, that's a message to all the parents out there. When your child comes to you and they say, (laughs) I want to be a fine arts major, right? There is... (laughs)
2: <laughs> there is a lot
1: you can do with this. Is that? Am I wrong? Yeah, that's
2: exactly right. Although when my parents heard that I was like going to change my major to doing sculpture, they said, "Make sure you get a business degree." Um, so I'm grateful <laughs> that they also gave me that sense. But you know, it's it's a really good mixture well, because it really helps with what I do. Yeah, and, and you
0: know, I. Like, I, uh, I I got a, a a degree, a business degree as well. I, I did get an MBA <laughs> because my parents, exactly the same thing. When I was doing art history at Towson University, they were like, and what are you going to do with an art history degree? I, you know, I said, well, I don't know. I could be a lawyer. I could be a, uh, anything having to do with reading. And they were like, okay, well, just can you get a business degree <laughs> just so you know how to <laughs> – Do your taxes or something like that.
1: There you you go. Well, and that is – so there you go. Very wise advice, and if we've done nothing else, we've helped, you know, parents of tomorrow as they guide their their children. So, Grace, taking that that business knowledge and your fine arts knowledge, um, you know, I do think many people are familiar with last year's activist attacks on fine art in some of the major European museums, and those included – Van Gogh, Sunflowers, and even the Mona Lisa, probably the most famous to those of us who haven't done much other art. And, you know, can you talk some about, you know, are these acts of vandalism more common maybe than the average listener would know?
2: Yeah, so it's a really interesting concept because acts of violence against art, um, you see it commonly throughout history. Um, there's a lot of moments where the destruction of art is intertwined with like social change and physical change. And um, I think what we've been seeing recently is actually the like climate change side of things. That's really pushing through a lot of this kind of public acts of violence. And one of the kind of earliest examples of acts of violence on art that I was aware of was, I think I was seven at the time, and that's when the Buddhas of Bamiyan were destroyed by the Taliban. And it kind of sunk in to me as a a child of how important it was, even though I didn't fully understand the context. And so that really kind of illustrated to me this kind of cultural element in terms of, Humanity and the interaction of art because it makes us feel things, you know, strongly. You can look at a painting, it can make you cry, it can make you feel joy, you know. There's all these interesting interactions. Um, one of my favorite kind of stories in terms of art um, and European museums um, was during the suffragette movement, there was a woman named Anne Hunt, who went into the National Gallery in, like, 1914, and she actually took a meat cleaver in and hacked into this painting of Thomas Carlyle, who was one of the founders of the the National Gallery, if I recall, and it just seems like there's these intense moments of, of change, um, and when I'm looking at the more recent attacks, like the Mona Lisa, and Van Gogh's Sunflowers. I think it's a slightly different approach because it's not so much about, you know, the artwork and who it's depicting. It's kind of more about, in from my perspective, the, like, institution that's being attacked. Um, so while attacks on art are common, I think that there's been a bit of a contextual change to the theme here. And it's really an interesting thing to approach from an insurance perspective.
0: I wanted to also add to that, Grace, um, that it's exactly what you're saying, they're also not attacking the actual work of art. They're mm-hmm. actually, I mean, they're not damaging the artwork, thankfully. They mm-hmm. are actually damaging the outside. You know, they're, they're damaging the base. They're they're taking pictures and or paintings, in, in, in not in every context, but in a, a lot of the more famous ones. You know, they didn't actually get to the Mona Lisa because it's so covered by glass. So I think they also knew that. So so I don't think they mean to harm the pieces. I think it's a, it's a statement. Whereas before they were perfectly happy to, kind of like like Grace said, hack into a, a painting. Here it's they're destroying the base, but. So so for an insurance, if, you know, from an insurance point of view, it, it, it's not a, a total loss, it, it, you know. So so at least we have that, you know, uh, a little bit of, of relief from that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that sometimes we forget that the Mona Lisa has been recorded to be attacked at least five times. So, I mean, the most recent one, you know, we had, I think it was a pie thrown at it. I mean, there's been acid poured on it in the 50s, and it was smashed with a rock, and it was spray-painted in the 70s. So, you know, when you get these amazing pieces of art that, you know, everyone seems to kind of know of, it does um, attract attention, be it maybe negative attention
1: sometimes. Well, the poor poor Mona Lisa, she just yeah. Keeps- Keep smiling. Catch a break. Uh, <laughs> i tell you what. Uh, that's, well, that's, that is interesting, and thank goodness there is uh, a lot of that protection, but still requires, uh, you know, someone like uh, each of you as experts to assist. And so, Alette, as we, you know, talk about that, security measures, you know, museums, what are they doing to implement and mi- mitigate the risk of fine art attacks? Because those are really good points that you both just made
0: well, some of the things um, that are happening at the moment is they're they're trying to have additional presence in museums um, and, and uh, on exhibits um, there is a, a huge issue in the world it seems with with not having enough people to do. Jobs and roles and, and stuff like that, but, but it is the goal of museums to, to, or, or that's one of the strategies we have heard of that they're trying to do with having more presence. The other thing is that they're putting in, um, CCTV and other formats of of being able to stay in contact i mean nowadays even a homeowner can have that ring doorbell that actually you can see the person <laughs> that's at your door delivering mm-hmm. your package so they're doing a lot of stuff with um with video and with being able to to have, have like uh, an an eye on the areas um those are the two things that i kind of saw were the most from from a claims handling perspective that we've heard of. But actually, Grace might have some more um, information about things as from a lost, per, uh, loss-adjusting perspective. She might have heard some more of, of some more things that they might be doing, some more security measures that are being implemented.
2: Mm, yeah, I mean, we see a lot more works are being encased in glass. And there's a lot more, like, proximity alarms. Um, so, like, I like to go and visit the tape. And those proximity alarms will set off if you get too close and you immediately will have kind of a staff member coming over to see what's going on. So I think it's kind of a two, you know, two branched approach to it in that we have a uh, better alert systems that can bring over like a physical person to help manage whatever's happening. But then there's also the more like static security measure, which is like, you know, museum glass or putting things in cases and having um, some of these cases are really high tech and they'll have pressure sensors, they'll have vibration sensors, so that if something is, you know, about to happen or in the process of beginning, that, you know, police can be alerted if it's the case of theft or you know, the conservators can be put on call in case of vandalism. Um, and in, you know, private homes, uh, you've got great kind of security systems that as technology increases in our lives and, and how we can implement it, um, it's getting much more advanced in terms of not only monitoring, but um, also kind of protection side of things.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, as, as, I- great thing you know on some of these houses also like private homes uh, that have uh collections you know the the, some of the owners can have cameras and they can look at them on their phone so they could be on vacation um Mm -hmm. and you know watching their collection and then potentially have someone nearby that can go if there's any any issues you you no longer have to depend on what your alarm system is is attached to can usually be attached to your actual actual devices, so very high tech.
1: Yeah, in today's world, I'm sure it's getting more and more um, fine-tuned in that sense. But still, Grace, I guess that that leads to the question of why is it difficult to quantify the number of loss events or the extent of damages following fine art attacks?
2: Mm, that's a really great question because sometimes the value of art is actually intertwined with the history of the art piece. So I mentioned earlier how Anne Hunt took like a meat cleaver to this portrait. Um and so she went to trial for it and she had this amazing quote which, you know, was has now accompanied this art piece and she says this picture will be of added value and of great historical importance because it has been honored by the attention of a militant. And in the end, you know, this art piece, you know, it's a beautiful portrait. Um, It may have reached more people naturally, but it was kind of thrust into this movement of the suffragettes. And actually the National Portrait Gallery held a special exhibition about rebel woman where this piece was one of the kind of central focuses of it. Um, so sometimes when an art piece is damaged and it becomes kind of part of the pop culture of art, it can actually make it more desirable in a way. Um, now this doesn't account to everything by any means. Um, and it's also really hard sometimes to identify what's an accident and what's purposeful. Um, and so that's why it's hard to kind of quantify the number of events of, like, what is a fine art attack. Um, there's this incident where a gentleman appears to have tripped over his shoelaces at the Fitzwilliam Museum at Cambridge, and he shattered these three yeah, know, monumental Chinese vases. Um, and it's still, like, not really clear if that wasn't an accident or was it something that was staged. I don't think that there was ever kind of a clear decision made. And I don't think we could ever really know um, what exactly happened in that situation aside from the fact that these pieces were broken. And um, it's really tricky to then take... The kind of news feeds of art pieces that get damaged all the time accidentally, and then figuring out, you know, without it being throwing a pie at it or having orange powder sprayed at it, you know, what exactly is an attack, what's an accident, um, also kind of how to quantify the value of it because sometimes. You know, that's the beauty and difficulty of this job is that there's all these minute like facets of the gemstone and you have to look through every single different viewpoint to really understand how value is attributed to it. And so that's why it's really tricky and it makes my job exciting because I have to look at things more carefully have different perspectives on it. Um, but definitely for, like, the wider insurance market, it's tough to have, like, a exact number pinned
0: to it. Yes, it's very difficult for claim handlers <laughs> in those situations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we depend on the – a lot of the time, we, we depend on the recommendation of loss adjusters like Grace to give us um, – some of some answers and as she said when things happen and there is no answer and, and you it, it is it is just really difficult to make a, a proper determination. So yeah, it is exciting well, but it's yeah often very difficult <laughs> stress inducing. Yeah.
1: Well if nothing else you both convinced me to wear slip on shoes when I go to the next art museum. <laughs> yeah. Good I, I don't I don't want to be accused of tripping over my shoelaces and wiping out you know a fine work of art from the fourth century BC. So we <laughs> that is just I'm sure as with all things in this industry we there are some just some uh, almost unbelievable things. And so, you know, going back to you, Elliot, uh how can Sedgwick help reduce fine art risk? Obviously we can't tell people not to wear lace-up shoes, uh, but uh, provide and help provide financial valuation of items, costing of incidences, and, you know, when and where the damage is discovered.
0: Well, um, we do offer lots of services um, in our team in particular. I mean, things like pre-risk surveys, um, GRACE is is, is, can provide a, a valuation, uh, or support insureds with, 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 um, inventories. Um, we, you know, the, like everything, we learn from previous mistakes. So a lot of the time we're, or most of the time, not just Grace, but myself, we're talking to underwriters or brokers, um, rather than just claims people. Um, to try and see if we can help with claims issues. So, so we go to the placing people, to the actual underwriters, and try to find out things that would help them to write their, their business and take their, take on the risk. Um it just, you know, also to provide an example, um, we, we currently have somebody in, I believe it's the Philippines that needs, um, you know, a, a, a number of shops. So, so in fine art, we don't just look at paintings, but we look at jewelry and species, the, the whole business. Um and, you know, we, we're gonna go out to the Philippines to, or someone in the, somebody that, that's Station there is going to go out um, to the client and, and is going to provide a report of, of what they have currently, give a of the worth of the of the items, and by having that um, we provide we provide a good basis, um, and we help with reducing the risk. Uh, so, providing financial valuations just means that if you do have a claim, we ha- it's very easy to just say, well, this is what items are worth, and this is what the incident would cost if it was a total loss. Um, if there are, if, you know, there's always a gray line if something is just damaged and you have to repair it, uh, but if there are total losses, there are ways to mitigate that issue. Um, so, yeah, there's there's lots of things that we can do. Working, you know, communicating with the insured, communicating with underwriters, and then, fortunately, unfortunately, if something does happen, we are there to support.
2: Mm, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with what Elliot has said. It's kind of that concept of hindsight is twenty twenty, and so when you're thinking about how to avoid something, like how to reduce fine art risks the best kind of people to ask are the ones that have dealt with it when it does inevitably go wrong. Um, And, you know, meeting with the market as a whole and understanding things from the different perspectives of kind of what clients' needs are and how, you know, our experience can be of benefit in terms of figuring out, you know, ways of, making sure that pieces are valued correctly or often enough. Um, Or, you know, what kind of material is the piece? And, you know, for a photograph, should you be hanging it in full sunshine? I would hope not. But sometimes people don't know this right off the bat. So it's helpful to have kind of the team at Sedgwick and we have such a range of expertise that, you know, if I needed a a French decorative arts expert, I can find one within the team in a matter of seconds. Um, You know, or if I need someone who specializes in Latin American art, like we have that. And so it's really helpful to have such a diverse team in terms of our backgrounds and our specialism, because then when it comes to questions or kind of working with the wider market, we have those resources that we can draw on to help clients, you know, mitigate things properly.
1: Well, Grace, going back to you then, what types Mm -hmm. of fine art claims does Sedgwick's property major and complex loss team see the most of? I think our listeners would find that really interesting. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, it's a little bit funny because it's not the most glamorous. It's not like we're you know, um, in the Thomas Crown affair, and there's a team of art thieves, you know, rappelling down from the ceilings on helicopters. <laughs> um, you know, that would be kind of fun. But although we've actually, had that before,
0: but yeah, <laughs> in Happen Garden.
2: Yep. Yeah. So we don't get that all the time. When we do, it feels very, like, very cool to be involved. Um, although most of it is really related to art in transit. Um, and because art, you know, it's fragile it's movable, it's got immeasurable value that you know can change based on all these different elements that it participates within. So um, it's a lot of transit, it's a lot of um, kind of water leaks and kind of the day-to-day accidents that people regularly buy insurance for to protect from. Um, and I think that... You know the the transit really does take a cake in terms of volume and then in terms of value we definitely see more um, kind of on the institution side of things um, and I think that uh, that's at least from my experience so far.
0: Um, so uh, just to, to um, follow on Grace's message of um, transit losses um we see a lot of that in um, in the claims team as well we see a lot of sending losses a lot of couriers um packages being sent um from different parts of the world and also within the US um a lot especially since the pandemic people took to buying things online and therefore they would buy carpets worth uh, you know, over $20,000. Uh, they were buying uh, lots of prints, rare coins, just all kinds of, um, items, even wine, you know, very, very expensive wine, and they'll have it shipped. Um, so we see losses in, in that arena. Um, the box is being tampered with or broken into, um, items broken. So if you send a case of wine, you might receive Um, You know, six bottles in good shape, and then uh, a few that aren't in good shape. Um, We also understand that possibly in the U.S., every time you buy an engagement ring, if you want to have it insured, you have to. The jewelers tend to send it to a valuer that might not be in the same state. Um, So, so we have um, a very large number of sending losses, but there are so many movements that it's almost inevitable that there will be losses. Sometimes it's, it's not the fault of anyone. Sometimes we do um, have sets. Other times it's because they go to airports and they get lost in <laughs> – I mean, um, Grace had one recently where it was lost in, in one of the European airports for mm-hmm. for a, a few a few weeks, and then it was found. But um, so we, we, we tend to see a lot of that at the moment. And as Grace said, it's not the most glamorous of um, – Maybe.
2: yeah and you know it kind of reminds me of even me as a consumer when i'm buying you know special pens or a pair of earrings you know you, when i'm buying something i look and i say oh yes free shipping perfect that's exactly what i want oh yes express delivery i can get it quick and i think the way that the consumer has developed it has changed the behavior of the sellers in terms of, you know, someone has just bought, you know, a series of prints that's, you know, about 30 grand in total. Let's put them all in a package together and use this courier service that can send it in express mail, and it will get there cheaply and quickly. But I think what sometimes the consumer and then also these sellers forget is that something like wine is really fragile. And if you scratch the label, that might impact the value of the bottle. Or, you know, prints need to be, if it's a photograph, it can't be exposed to high heat. So, you know, there's this interesting trend of maybe actually a fine art shipper would be better suited for this type of object, because they're going to be handling it differently and processing it differently. But that might cost a lot more. And so there's this change, definitely, I think COVID had a big impact on it, where, you know, the expectations of the consumer aren't in line with what the market has available. And senders want to save some money on their shipping. And, you know, art pieces get shipped all around the world, for art fairs, for museum exhibitions, for gallery openings, and that's one of the things that you know helps us access these really amazing pieces of art, um, but it also then puts it at risk so it's a really fine line that um, is also kind of a gray area in terms of figuring out what's best
1: well, Elliot, how can creating awareness and you just both talked about this a little bit? Yeah. Uh, of potential risk exposures and asset vulner- vulnerability potentially stop a loss event from escalating or even, hopefully, mitigate it completely?
0: Yeah, this is – I mean, it's it's such a good question coming from what we just discussed. Um, it, so – and, and- – very much what grace said i mean it's, this is i think why her our partnership of her being a loft adjuster and me handling the claim is is so powerful because i exactly what she just said different mediums different items have ways of being i mean we're in such a global world now so you know I, if i want wine from california I might just buy a case of wine from California and although it might be expensive, it's a lot cheaper than me flying to California. To flying get my to California, <laughs> putting it in your bag.
2: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely.
0: Uh, yeah. Or, you know, and I mean, and, 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 like Grace said, you know, talking about, you know, during the pandemic, I, I tend to go to Spain um, on holiday at least once a year. Cause I have friends and family there and, I couldn't go to Spain during the pandemic, so I would buy, every few months, we would buy a case of wine from Spain. Um, Knowing that, again, you know, that it's fragile, uh, also being aware that it can't be um, exposed to, to high heat either, you don't want. Wine that's been, you know, especially red wine that's been sitting, um, in, in some warehouse, um, in the heat somewhere. It just all these things, um, underwriters are very clued up. They know when they're writing their insurance, um, policies about all these things. And us as loss adjusters and, and claims handlers, we also, um, not just follow their, their rhythm, but we, we read. We're constantly reading about, trends and things that are happening and so we are creating an awareness to ourselves to our teams we're making sure that everybody in the team is is fully aware and learning from the mistakes, seeing what the trends are and, and speaking with um with our peers in the market about what they've been seeing will help to create these um like you say stem Certainly, sure. I mean, uh, unfortunately, a lot of these things can't be stemmed completely, and and you can't um, because of so many factors. I mean, you cannot stop. You know, if, if a, a case of wine goes through an airport, you 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 can try um, to to help. <laughs> they wouldn't put it in some heated room or even a, a refrigerator that would freeze it. Um, but a lot of the time it's just impossible to, to control those things or, or if there is a blizzard as, as it's coming in the truck, uh, some things you, you just can't help because of weather, um, or, or, or other factors. But, you know, knowledge is key and it's, it's just such an important part of this whole business, and communication, um, being able to to speak to people about what has been happening and what are the potential risks, and, and, and being able to share that knowledge amongst um, the people that are handling these claims from a claims handling to a loss of justice perspective.
2: Mm, yeah. I want to add something. Yeah. As you were mentioning that, it was like making me like vividly recall one of these claims that i had recently that was a, another sending loss and we had kind of towards the end of the claim um suggested that when the gallery was packing their you know fine jewelry or rare coins or kind of small valuable items that maybe they record the packing process and they were the. The guy was like, oh, we never thought of that. And yet, you know, this is a great way of preventing kind of it being received and saying, oh, there's nothing in the box, you know, <laughs> because then you could say, oh, look, here we have a video of us packing it. You know, then is it the courier's fault or maybe you did receive it and it fell out before you noticed? <laughs> oh, there it is under the couch kind of thing. So um, there's lots of opportunities to kind of educate as well. And I think that's where we really add value to the people that we interact with, be it on the insurance side or be it on the insured side.
1: Well, as we come to a close of our discussion and so many interesting things that that you both have shared, uh, when it comes to fine art losses and determining risk exposure is is the key to preservation just throw this out to both of you, what other words of wisdom might you share with our listeners that you want to leave them with on, on final thoughts?
0: Great. I'm going to let you <laughs> start with this one. Okay, because all, yeah. I mean, all, all, I mean, all I could think of is a uh, communication and, you know, as we said earlier, and knowledge is key.
2: Mm. Yeah. And I think that really kind of clues into where my thought process was going. Um, From my perspective, I think that, like, regular valuations are so important because kind of at the heart of it, art objects are kind of, they have a liquid value. So, you know, dependent on, you know, a multitude of factors, the value can change. And that's why, you know, fitting these objects into the framework of insurance can be difficult, Because you have to consider, you know, when was the last time this was valued? Was it three years ago? You know, that might be sufficient to have an idea of what it is. Was it five years ago? Hmm, maybe we should, you know, look at this again. Um, I certainly think that um, there are individuals and institutions sometimes that you'll say, oh, evaluation was done 10 years ago. And you think, oh, great, you know, in 2013 what was the world like you know was this artist even well known at that stage and that's when it becomes a more difficult process for insurers to actually know what they're insuring um sometimes it's that the insured doesn't know what their art collection is worth and maybe they should specify the object um the art market can be kind of a, an opaque and muddy kind of market where it's not exactly clear what the values are at play. And so that's why I think if there was any kind of singular piece of overarching advice, it would be that, you know, regular valuations are really helpful and necessary for this whole process. And then a humorous one, but um, you wouldn't believe how often I interact with it, is maybe don't put bubble wrap on your oil painting because <laughs> it will leave an indent.
0: <laughs> I, I wanted to add something about that too. Um, but from a clean handling perspective, um, please, if you have anything that you believe, like, like Grace says, if you believe you have something of value, possibly a watch that you might have inherited or a painting that you're that you you know you found in the loft that you think it it could have some value don't try to put it under your home insurance the mm-hmm. chances are that if there is a claim uh that the home insurers will not be able to 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 actually give you what what you deserve for that piece um unless you have a, a a true valuation um unless you you trust that whoever is giving you that valuation knows what they're talking about um it's I, i've seen so many um, people over the years who've tried to put rare books and rare paintings um in their home policies and then they've had um water damage or fire damage and they then realized they were sitting on something quite um, valuable, and unfortunately, only got what would be worth, you know, something um, at your local um, bookshop. So, it's really important. Art insurers, it's not art insurance is is not the most expensive of things, um, and it will give you the best the best um, cover for your risk. So definitely talk to people, you know, in in, at Sedgwick we have a a really brilliant fine art team, a global team. We're about, we're almost 20 um, fine art experts throughout the world. Um, So if you, you know, if if you're in any region um, and you want to talk to a fine art specialist, you can not only just get in, in contact with Grace or myself, um, but we have specialists throughout the world that can, um, you know, you can have a conversation with them and, and, and see how we can help um, because it's much better than um, putting your, as I said, your, not that home insurance is bad. <laughs> um, it's, but, but, you know, some of your valuables may, may just need a little bit better insurance. There are so many clauses that aren't covered within the home insurance policy. So
2: have a look. Yeah, Elliot is so right on that, and it's something that I see quite a bit of, you know, with fires of, you know, oh, but this my library collection is insured with my home policy. Um, and that's where, you know, I think, you know, the experience of Elliot and understanding all of this and, you know, being such an expert in this line of business and then our wider team with all their specialisms, um, we could definitely provide kind of the advice and guidance that helps, you know, avoid these unfortunate moments of, you
0: know, I just put my elbow through this painting accidentally. (laughs) Is it insured correctly? Who knows? Yeah. Wear and tear is not covered. Mysterious disappearance isn't covered in your home insurance, but it is covered in your fine art and jewelry policies. I mean, yep. The dog ate my homework and it is covered Mm -hmm. in a fine art policy, but not in your
1: insurer's policy
2: yeah making sure that you have the right policy
1: for the right kind of object is just you know the,
2: the key here
1: thank you both so much I mean I think whether people are listening that are extreme experts or we hope a lot of people are listening that honestly quite like myself you know know very little about the fine arts world so this has been very educational I think a lot of great uh, tips uh, ideas Uh, And then just thinking through, you know, if you're looking for uh, the experts, that at Sedgwick uh, we have an amazing team. And so just want to remind everyone, if you'd like to learn more, uh, please visit www.sedgwick.com, and you can find out more, and then you can get in touch with Aliette and Grace and others, and we have people all over the world. So thank you both for being with me today.
0: It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for inviting us to do this.
1: All right. Well, until next time, uh, we'll talk to our listeners then.